Welcome to Looking at Lucasfilm, the podcast with a different perspective on the world of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and all of the other entities that George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, Dave Filoni, and John Favreau, and the rest of the team at Lucasfilm have dreamed up over the past 40 years. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host Brian Gaughan and I are recording this on Sunday, August 21st, 2022. And Brian, you've just finished the most recent episodes of Icons Unearthed. Is that correct? Yes, this is a very good series. And I don't, I don't know what's going to come next, but I know they're going to do a great job. But this was a different look at how Star Wars, you know, the whole movies and, and mm-hmm. everything began because they focus more on George as a personality and then his ex-wife, Marsha. And even I think even he had said at one time she was the heart of of what the movies were and and she really she gives um, a lot of interview about what's going on the last the last um, episodes are about the prequels and she does talk about them and she says she didn't wasn't crazy about them because George had no one to really bounce it off of. And and she, I kind of think she implied that she would have been able to to help them and and make them as great as as everything that that George has done. And it was it was kind of sad because you just you see these two people, and you get this feeling that they should still be together. And they gave us, I mean, yes, George Lucas is the genius who gave us what we wanted, but she was there from the beginning. She was there from, uh, from THX, she was there from American Graffiti, and she was there through the Star Wars, and she was just, it's a great way to show other stuff of Star Wars, and it was a great series, and I, I can't recommend it enough. Now, you've watched all of Light and Magic as well, yes. which obviously comes at these films a little differently. It looks at the whole of what Industrial Light Magic accomplished over the many years it's been working on the various Lucasfilm-related projects, but did you learn anything different about, say, the prequels from watching Icons on Earth versus Light and Magic came at this those two films more from uh, how we pulled off the visual effects point of view right. rather than the storytelling and that sort of thing? Well, you have to realize, too, with Light and Magic, it was done by a writer-director, and a writer more than anything. And he creates a story through mm-hmm. the whole thing where Icons was just telling you the story. Kasdan created a story. I mean, it could have been a, a regular movie because that's the way he sets it up. Mm-hmm. With the prequels, he doesn't get into it that much He mm-hmm. because it's about light and magic. And once you talk about Jurassic Park... Mm-hmm. The other stuff is just ice, icing on the cake. You just you see how they they started from what Jurassic Park was and got to a part where they shot all on green screen. Mm-hmm. Now they also got a little bit into um, the volume, mm-hmm. which is what George has been wanting to do all his life, mm-hmm. and it just makes me hope that George gets back on the you know on the seat to do if not 
a Star Wars thing, something else using mm-hmm. the volume. Because say what you may about him, the the guy he was he's one of these people. He's just like us. He's a geek. He reads comics. He reads um, about mythology and he sees movies, and it all comes out in this brilliant, beautiful, poetic, <laughs> if you can say, mm-hmm. a manner. And I would love to see him still create movies. I think George is more interested these days in his his museum of, of storytelling. Yes. It will be interesting to see what he takes on on the other side of a completion of that project. It was supposed to open this year, but yeah. I heard that it's going to open um, either the first or the second quarter of next year. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I hear more about it, I, I do have some people who are kind of like on the inside. Mm-hmm. And it looks like, and I'll go over there, maybe take some pictures, because there, it looks like the exterior is completely done. And it looks like LA is being invaded by a giant spaceship. <laughs> I have to admit, I will be kind of intrigued to go from the Academy Museum to Lucas's Museum of Storytelling, because have you managed to make it up to the Walt Disney Family Museum yet? Not yet, but I I plan on, if Devin needs like um, a, another break or something, I'm going to pick him up and we'll go there, because okay. uh, maybe we're we're dropping him off, maybe we'll have time to go up there. This time too, but we they wanted to hit Big Sur and and the Monterey Bay Aquarium, so maybe we'll hit the um, we'll see if we can hit that. There are wonderful things to see at the Walt Disney Family Museum, but at the same time, I feel like it was laid out by people who never made a museum before, and in a weird sort of way, it is so busy and so hands on. You almost walk away somewhat frustrated because I feel like it's it's really impossible to see everything. And you know, maybe that's the point. Maybe they want you to come back. But I'm kind of intrigued by modern museums that try not to be museums, that try to be more like theme parks. Well, I have spent an afternoon running through the Louvre to try to see everything. So yeah, even at a regular it. museum, you go, oh, look, at there's that. Oh, look, at there's that. And you just slow down, not stop, and just, you, you want to see everything. But see, that's the thing. That's the anti-museum experience. You know, you're supposed to sip from the cup, not gulp. Well, there's all these museums. You've got to, when you get to go to another Comic-Con, there's the Comic-Con Museum down there, too. So we have to go hit that. There we so go. Okay. all these like cool museums. Um, all right. Yeah. You and I do. They're road trip, but definitely a road trip. <laughs> and we will talk about it on, on future uh, Absolutely. laughing places. That'll be in the news. And speaking of the news, the news portion of today's show is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of the Jim Mill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience every time, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Okay, you had some Acolyte news. And this is our first limited series, but keying off of the High Republic material. Is that correct? Yeah, they're going to start filming on Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. And they are going to be done May Mm -hmm. of next year. And the main actress who's in it is mm-hmm. the same actress who was in Hunger Games. She played the young girl. Oh. Yeah, and she's the main actress in it. And I guess 
she has a little bit of controversy about her. Um, and I, I couldn't get it from the article. She was talking about cancel culture and how she believes that people are trying to cancel her. But I didn't, there wasn't anything about what she did or said, but trying to cancel her. But she was talking about the show and it just seems like it's going to be different than than what's uh, like like you say the high republic mm-hmm. and if it does well man we're going to get a whole big opening of the door of the mythology of star wars i genuinely hope so when you look at how many ways from the moment disney bought lucasfilm back in 2013 2012 and the way that they have sort of kept pivoting around the Skywalker saga, whether it's, you know, stories in between films or stories right after films. And that's the thing with the High Republic is here we are 200 years before there was a, ever a Skywalker. And it's like, good luck, kids. <laughs> well, I, I think it should be. I mean, look what they're doing with Games of Thrones and mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings. It seemed to be a thing like, okay, you've already seen the story that the author wanted you to see. Now let's give you the story that inspired him or whatever. The Game of Thrones, A House of Dragons? I yeah, mean, it I'm starts sure. today. It was interesting watching the reviews that were out there that basically, you know, it's like they were talking about how one of the virtues of the show is it doesn't have the ambition of Game of Thrones. It focuses on one family, one house, and is trying to tell a tight political story there. But at the same time, you look at Amazon's Lord of the Rings thing, where it's like, oh, Peter Jackson, did you really have to say they ghosted me? <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, that like, was, yeah. That, that's, you know, that doesn't look good for them no, to have no, done it, that. And yeah. it's hopefully... If it goes into different seasons, they'll remedy that and Mm -hmm. bring him back on board. Because he did give us six movies of those stories that just are some of the best films ever made. So, I mean, you can't... I think we've talked about this. The downloaded The Rise and Fall of Harry Knowles, the podcast series. Well, boy, is Uh. that something. It is. But the interesting thing is that they tell one amazing story about Peter Jackson... They're in the process of making the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and and these stories keep showing up online. And so Peter, which of course would make the folks at New Line and and, and it's furious, and you know, they yeah, go, because they were telling about how New Line was getting too much involved, and they were going after Peter, and and Peter was getting upset, and and all of a sudden these things were online, and even Jackson was saying, "Whoever's doing it, you got to stop doing that. This is causing me trouble. What what are you doing? You you've got to." to stop this and you know people hit new line are going crazy and nobody knew knows who this leak is and it's all coming through um ain't a cool news and it's just, it's like daily isn't it oh of course but please reveal who it was who was actually it was telling Peter harry Jackson himself yes, that's it exactly he they, didn't know. know how to handle these hollywood guys coming after him Yep. So he used this, the, and, and he was one of the reasons why Ain't It Cool News became the behemoth it became. And yep. he used this, and it was, it was the perfect example of using social media to your advantage. 
back in the bag to rocks together to make yeah. fire days of the internet. But again, I, I love the whole notion of Jackson standing yeah. in front of the crew. Guys, you have to stop leaking. You're getting me in so much trouble. It's like, and it's him. Just get, doing and, it. it's him and it's him. So to get back to Star Wars and casting and that sort of thing. Well, you were mentioning that you were watching Day Shift, the new Netflix, Jamie Foxx. Yeah, Vampire it is it. Yeah, and I think it's going to be, it was really well done, and it looked like a lot of fun. But mm-hmm. uh, one of the actresses in it, Natasha Lou Bordizo, I think mm-hmm. her, her name is, she's playing Sabine mm-hmm. in Ahsoka. Evidently, she auditioned for the gig while she was shooting Day Shift. Okay, I didn't know that. And she was talking about the fact that it's auditioning today in today's Hollywood where you you do a Zoom thing or you record a tape and you send something in. And the poor woman plays a vampire. And so she was talking about how, you know, I got to wear fangs and they're kind of sharp. And so I cut the inside of my mouth and I got ulcers, but I got to also do this audition scene. And so... She talks about, you do an audition, and sometimes it's four callbacks, it's two director zooms, and then complete silence. You never hear from anybody ever again. So she did this audition, and she had heard it's some sort of thing that John Favreau's involved in, but they never gave her any real information about it. And she just remembered that when she was doing the audition, she kind of did a, a Harrison Ford kind of take on a character, just sort of sort of threw off, you know, like, lady, I got things to do. I know you need help, but I got things to do. <laughs> Evidently, that was exactly what they were looking for for Sabine because she talked about how she's on set on day shift and looks down at her phone and it's like, I have 16 missed calls. <laughs> and it's like, oh, no, what's happened? You know, and she picks up her phone and evidently her representative is like, so tell us, do you like the Mandalorian? <laughs> you know, because or maybe it was like, what are you doing Friday? There's this yep. thing called Star Wars convention. There we or go. Celebration, and you're on stage. <laughs> in, in fact, so funny you mentioned that because she had just been cast, and they figured, well, of course they're not going to bring me to the event and introduce me. I've just been cast. I'm like, no, you are coming out on stage. We're introducing you, and in, in, well, you were there. What, what sort of oh, reaction it was, did she uh, get? She got a great reaction. First, I think they showed it in the preview and you just see her walking up um, and you saw the back of her and then they started introducing people from the the chopper comes out and and then she comes out as sabine and Mm -hmm. that auditorium when you cheer and scream Mm -hmm. in that auditorium you get vibrations you Mm -hmm. just feel it and everybody seemed to be very happy that she just seemed to be that character of course nobody knew who she was Mm because she's not been in a lot of things Mm -hmm. but i i don't remember but i think she even did the pose you know Mm -hmm. the sabine pose with the Mm -hmm. the the hip out type of thing Mm -hmm. and then of course Dave Filoni gets out there and and Mm -hmm. says, this is my Sabine. This is like who I've always thought, you know, she should be. And it was really, it was, you you just felt that everybody was on board for it Mm -hmm. and and stuff. And I've seen a lot of stuff with her before, not knowing who she was. And Mm -hmm. and of course, in this one, she's great in in, um, Day Shift. But I, I think, I mean, you can't get a better actress than Rosario Dawson. And I think they're going to complement each other, you know, considerably. 
I'm so happy to hear that. But at the same time, from the audition material, she had no idea no. she was auditioning for a Star Wars thing. And evidently, this can be traced back to what happened with, with Freddie Prince Jr. when he... Oh, the uh, Rebels thing? Yeah, when he oh, auditioned yeah. for Rebels. And there's a famous story of Freddie is auditioning for some sort of animation project, doesn't know what it is, and he's in the booth, and he reads ahead a little bit in the script and comes across the term sun swords and <laughs> kind of locks eyes with the guys in the booth and just steps out of the recording booth and goes into the control room and's like, this is Star Wars, isn't it? And everybody in the room gets big-eyed, like, how do you know that? And it's like, guys, it says sun swords. You know, sun swords, lightsabers, come on. And it's like, could you be a little less obvious? And he talked about how he literally had to step out into the hallway and, and take a break and pull it together because he loved Star Wars his entire life. And it's like, I just, I'm being invited to audition for Star Wars. And, of course, he nails it. And the four seasons that we got of Star Wars Rebels. And in fact, that, that's the other interesting thing they were talking about with uh, Natasha, that once she got the gig, the, you know, Filoni's like, well, maybe you might want to watch <laughs> Star Wars Rebels. To understand, yes. And she actually talked about the thing that more concerned her is obviously Sabine is a wonderful tagger. The gra graffiti artist in the show was, you know, I went into the basement with some spray cans and, and tried, and it's like, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm going to need some practice on this one. So, and open a window, too. because And it, open a window, too. Freddie Prince Jr. would be perfect if they did a live-action version of that character. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I mean, I know he's, well, we don't know. Do we? Mm -hmm. Did he just like disappear, sort of? It's. <laughs> no, I, I know that um, the kid disappeared, and that's what the series may be about of them trying to find him. Finding him and Thrawn. That appears to be our MacGuffin that's powering this. But also, speaking of things we may or may not see, did you see the thing this week where I know, I, I, I think we talked on the last show about what was going on over at HBO Max and how the new CEO, Mr. Zaslav. Yeah, it's getting uh, worse. Yeah, it, it's not good. But taking uh, Batgirl and uh, Scoob Holiday Haunts and putting them in a vault largely for tax reasons, kind of the effect of we can write these off and we're dealing with some massive debt that's related to the merger of the two companies. And so we can benefit from these two things not going out into public. And uh, I, I forget, it would, a friend who was pointing out that Batgirl and Scoob Holiday Haunts now joins a very oh, exclusive yeah. club in Hollywood of, of things that were made that never made it out into the world. And they immediately pointed out that among those things is Star Wars detours that Seth Green and the folks at Stupid Buddies did with George Lucas himself. But did they shove those to never to be seen, or did they just not release them? They produced three seasons of shows. They were in the process of writing a fourth season when Lucas made the decision to sell Lucasfilm to Disney. And Seth Green talked about one of the things he was proudest of working on Star Wars Detours was making George Lucas laugh. Taking yeah. the characters that George himself had created and doing them in such a way to make George Lucas laugh, it's, it's, it made me weirdly proud. And the notion that Disney, as the new owner of the Star Wars franchise, 
that had its own plans for these characters, both bringing back characters from the original trilogy as well as creating characters of their own, plus doing the Star Wars stories. This Star Wars detours just didn't fit in with Disney's plans. In fact, largely what they suggested was that Disney was not comfortable with a parody of what they had just spent $4.25 billion on being the first thing out the door. Yeah, they didn't want little kids to be introduced to the characters in this parody form rather than going back to the movies. Another thing I didn't, um, I forgot to mention from the icons Mm -hmm. is Marsha really emphasized throughout Mm -hmm. the whole thing that when George started Lucasfilm, that he Mm -hmm. said, this is my company this mm-hmm. is something I did. I will never sell my company. Mm. And then she goes, and then he did. So that was a, I, I forgot to, because that, that killed, that kind of hit you. Mm-hmm. But I think we all know why he did. Mm-hmm. But still, it was hard for her to accept because here was a, a man that she really cared a lot about and mm-hmm. what he did for the world and for everybody. And then he walked away from it. Today, I was at a dinner party uh, for a friend who's moving to Texas. And over the course of dinner, the topic of what do Wookiees eat came up. (laughs) And I mentioned the snare net moment from Return of the Jedi and the notion of here was this piece of meat on a stick and Chewie went running toward it. And there was Quite a second, no, 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 no. Wookiees don't eat meat. And it literally, the party paused for a moment while people broke up their phones and went to Wookiepedia <laughs> to check in. Oh, well, you know, Wookiees are, are omnivores. And oh, they do eat meat. Okay, stand corrected. And it was well, just. Well, what about that scene in the holiday special with, mm-hmm. with the robotic um, Julia Child played mm-hmm. by. Uh, Harvey Corman. Um, Harvey Corman yep. and yeah. the four arms going stir, stir, yep. stir. Yeah, yeah they, of course they, they eat meat and they have microwaves and they have IKEA furniture. And yeah, the Wookiees are very progressive. When you, you think about it, if you're a George Lucas and you're standing outside of oh, this right. and, and, and it's like, okay, so there's a Wikipedia. And it's like, <laughs> this is mine, but I don't necessarily have control over it anymore. And more to the point, people have very definite opinions about this stuff. And they don't necessarily agree with me. And after a time, that must have just gotten exhausting. And the notion of, okay, Disney's willing to hand me $4.25 billion to take this off my hands. And I can go now do things with my lovely new wife and I can make the museum we were talking about at the top of the show. You yeah. know, I, I get to do something new as opposed to I get to tend to this thing that I created that if you remember how the fan base reacted for that the, the prequels, if you were a George Lucas, would you step up to the plate again after no. that drubbing? Especially after Jar Jar. He believed that Jar Jar would be the iconic... 21st century character that everybody would talk about this character how you know completely animated how they it changed and he was devastated when Jar Jar got the hate that it did it's the Mel Brooks formula it's time plus tragedy equals comedy you know the fact that Ahmed Best when he went to the Star Wars celebration in Chicago I want to say in 2019 
and stood in front of a giant auditorium full of kids who grew up with the prequels who loved those movies. Yes. And they stood on their feet and cheered, and he's there with tears running down his face. I mean, the film that gets ridiculed today... Brian, you and I are old enough to remember yeah. the whole Rocketeer, going to a oh, theater man. and seeing the Rocketeer and loving that movie, but being in an auditorium full of people who just did not get it, and then yeah. to watch over 15, 20 years how, how that film became embraced and beloved. Well, but you're, you're right. It, he George made it for kids. He mm-hmm. made Jar Jar for kids. He wanted, yep. like I, I heard um, it was based on Goofy. And yep. my wife... Mm-hmm. First movie that she ever saw. I know mm-hmm. I've talked about this. Her favorite character, and still is Jar Jar. She mm-hmm. loves Jar Jar, and you can't talk her out of it. Mm-hmm. And and my kids loved him when. Now this is funny because my kids loved him when they were babies, mm-hmm. but now they've grown up and they're going. Well, maybe he's a little racist. I go, but you used to love him. <laughs> maybe he's a little racist. Okay. <laughs> All right, on that note, we're going to take a quick break here, but when we get back, we are going to talk about what happened after the Walt Disney Company purchased Lucasfilm and its notion about what we now do with this IP. Before we get started here, I want to remind folks, Star Wars Andor, the new limited series, starts four weeks from today, the day the show drops. So that's Wednesday, September 21st. I think you may remember this, Brian. There was some controversy from the first trailer dropping for Andor. You know, a lot of folks were, it's like, wait a minute, yeah, where's, where's, where's K2SO? Who, of course, you know, uh, Alan Tudyk did such a wonderful job with. And Diego Luna did an interview with Total Film earlier this week and just wanted to stress to folks, I want to remind you, you know, our next season of the show ends where Rogue One starts. It says, so I think that's going to answer everything, which is, you know, again, reading between the lines here, it's like, okay, so K2SO shows up then. Yeah, later on, yeah. But at the same time, you know, we have what Drew Taylor told us coming back from San Diego Comic-Con after talking with somebody at Lucasfilm that, that, that there's also a plan that maybe, did we say two seasons? Maybe three, possibly five of Star Wars and Well, yeah, um, this, is, this is a question I, I wanted to ask you. Because mm-hmm. last week, but we didn't, or last two weeks ago, we didn't talk. Mm-hmm. They changed the, they moved up the, the release date on this. Mm-hmm. On, it was going to be August 31st. Right. Now it's September 21st. Mm-hmm. Now, do you think that this has anything to do with D23, and maybe they're going to make other announcements. Because D23 is September 9th. And I think, isn't this why they, uh, that's, this is, that is also probably why they changed the date on Obi-Wan. The hard reality when it comes to the Walt Disney Company is everybody stands outside of Disney and it's like, ooh, the mystical, magical, the <laughs> mega corporation. And they plan for years and, you know, they're so careful. And the, the hard reality is it's like 31, 32 separate little companies that make up the giant Walt Disney Company, which all have their own agendas. Yeah. And the whole notion that let's hold back Star Wars and or until, ooh, the very big thing we're going to reveal at D23 and everyone will be so surprised and so excited to tune in. I deal with these guys all the time and it, I get the sense of, 
they go into work on Monday and it's like, what? That changed? What? That's just behind schedule? Oh, oh my God. <laughs> that actor got in a car accident? Oh, no. They're constantly putting out fire. What did that actor say? <laughs> there we go. I, I was just wondering because, um, and, and this whole thing with now putting Marvels on, or at least with She-Hulk, now putting mm -hmm. Marvels on Thursdays? Yep. And then yep. so you're going to have Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, mm -hmm. nothing's going to be on there because, you know, the movie, the whole movie thing. Mm -hmm. But are they going to do that to all their little, like, is animation going to be put on Tuesdays? I mean, <sighs> like a regular network. And look what they're doing. They're changing, they're changing the price. And, but they're also giving the, like the price you're paying now, seven ninety nine, but mm -hmm. you'll get ads. And then eleven ninety nine, and everybody's doing this because the streaming wars are over. You don't need incentives. Everybody has gotten the the channels they want, so now all they see is more dollar signs. Am I wrong? I don't know. For as much as you're saying that the streaming wars are over, there is some consolidation coming. Oh yeah, it's a, a different financial model, and clearly, if you've been paying attention to what's going over on HBO Max, that People went into that business assuming we're going to make this much money, and it's like, whoa, we're only making this much money, and you need to make some adjustments. And to look at what Disney's doing to make sure that people are excited for something like Star Wars Andor. Like this Friday, August 26th, they're putting Rogue One back into theaters, and not oh, just right. theaters, IMAX. But the flip side of putting Rogue One in IMAX theaters is that then allows people to look at on a really big screen up close two of the more controversial characters in those films. And that is of course, Grand Moff Tarkin and young princess Leia Organa who were digitally right. recreated and face it. They didn't really have a choice when it comes to Peter Cushing because, because we lost him back in 94 on the other hand, there's a, a lovely story about they showed Carrie Fisher the young Princess Leia footage that they were going to put into Rogue One, and her reaction was, geez, I don't remember shooting that. <laughs> Did you guys find that at, at Lucasfilm? Was that an alternate take for the, you know, it's like, no, you, we, we cooked that up. And it's like, you know, and she, oh, wow. Mind you, she then gave her blessing to it. It's like, if it looks that good, let's do it. But I wanted to take the back half of today's show to talk a bit about when Disney took on Lucasfilm for $4.25 billion. And by the way, that 2.5 thing was George actually, when they were closing the deal with Bob Iger, George was like, you paid $4 billion for Marvel, right? It's like, Yeah. I want. I need you to pay just a little bit more for this film. I'm just a little bit more. You know, just you were four billion, but I was four point two five billion. You know, you know, it's that much more valuable. But Disney immediately wants to get back into the Star Wars business. Now, I, I have a question because I was thinking about this. Kathleen Kennedy was she involved with Lucasfilm? I know she was involved with George. But she's mostly involved with Steven Spielberg. Was she involved with Lucasfilm before he sold it, or did Lucas, uh, did Disney bring on Kathleen to be in charge, like Kevin Feige is for MCU? George contacted Kathleen and 
to the effect of, hey, would you be interested in being in charge of Lucasfilm? And it's like, ooh, yeah, I would. Okay, now let me tell you the other part. I'm thinking of selling it to Disney. Oh. But for Kathleen Kennedy, that that now that's an interesting proposition because it's like, okay, so I get the Star Wars library of characters, but I get the might of the might and the money of the Walt Disney Company behind me, and I've, I've seen what they can do with Marvel, and I also see what Kevin Feige gets to do by being in charge of a division of the company like this, and it's like that's an interesting proposition. So. Kathleen agrees to take on the job, understanding that they're going to be sold to Disney. And, and a Bob Iger, who you know, knows Kathleen from, as you mentioned, her work with Steven Spielberg, likewise, you know, all those years of, of working with her husband, Frank Marshall. It's like, right. look, this is an old hand that, at the business. This is somebody who isn't going to have a problem working in a corporate space like here at Disney. And it's just like, perfect. She's, she's the right woman for the job. And it was kind of interesting to watch them hit the ground running because very first thing that gets greenlit uh, because they can get it to the market the fastest is Star Wars Rebels. Less than two years later, October 3rd, uh, uh, 2014, we get Star Wars Rebels that starts airing on the Disney Channel and the Disney XD. So that was a Disney thing? That wasn't a... George didn't work on that? No. So that was just Disney and Dave Filoni? Yep. Yep. Wow. And, but again, the notion was that you got to walk before you can run. Uh, you know, so half hour weekly series. Likewise, it's set in an easy, comfortable space. You know, that it's set a decade after the, the events of of Revenge of the Sith and just before the start of New Hope. You can bring all these characters that are from both, and there like Yoda go. and yep. Darth Vader, and yeah. The beauty part of that is. Their voices. You can reach out to uh, a James Earl Jones and come into the day and do some lines for Darth Vader. And likewise, an Anthony Daniels or a Billy D. Williams or Frank Oz. And, and they were all on board with the idea of doing stuff for Star Wars Rebels. On the other hand, five months prior to Star Wars uh, Rebels debuting on the Disney Channel, work begins at Pinewood Studios on The Force Awakens. And that doesn't arrive in theaters till December of 2015. So we're 14 months after Star Wars Rebels debuts, we get our first feature film. At this point, have you managed to see Lego Star Wars Summer Vacation? Yes, it's so funny. It's mm -hmm. brilliant because the where it takes place on, it, doesn't it take place on the, the Rogue One beach? <laughs> yes, Scarif, in fact... They tell three little stories over the course of this. And the last one where it's Leia and Han having a family vacation with Ben before he then officially oh, goes yeah. off to school with uh, Luke to learn how to be a Jedi. And first of all, I love the fact that at one point the kids steal the money of Falcon and are, are you know, sort of hot rotting around at the Endor moon. And they get into trouble because they, they run into what they think is an asteroid belt. And, and it's Han kind of goes pale and it's like, it's not the asteroid belt. It's the, the debris from the second Death Star. And uh, which, again, I, I thought was a wonderful point of continuity. And the other thing uh, that I really thought was a, kind of a sweet moment and really is a testament to how well written these Lego things are 
was that when they finally, you know, they finished the family vacation and it's, it's gone better than expected and they, they've flown the Falcon to where Luke's uh, Jedi school is located. And Han, this whole time, was trying to have one last good time with his son as Ben goes off to go to the school. It's, you know, calls after his kid, I love you. And Ben's response is, I know. I know. And it was just sort of like, ah, I love callbacks. I love when people pay oh, attention. Yeah. And especially when you notice them. Because sometimes they put a callback as a Easter egg, and then a lot of people don't notice. But there's always somebody in the movie theater that mm-hmm. notices, and they'll go, "Ha!" Mm-hmm. And that's usually me. Well, there we go. <laughs> it, this is this is why you and I need to start going to the movies. The other thing I I loved about this was it set after Rise of Skywalker, and in fact, Finn is upset because this is the nobody last... Nobody wants to be with him, yeah. Well, nobody wants to be with him, but also he realizes that this is the last time they're going to be together. In fact, right. that what's interesting is they set up what happens next with these characters. Like, Ray is heading off to the Unknown Regions to search for Jedi Tempos. Poe's going to be training new X-Wing pilots. Rose Tico is off to lead relief missions. And what's cool is Finn, and I love that he says this out loud, because frankly... This was something that bothered me about a Rise of Skywalker. They, they just left this dangling and yeah. wasn't resolved. But Finn says, I'm going to go off and scour the galaxy for others like me, others who are strong with the Force. They should have done more with that threat. They really should have done more with well, that Well, Well, it, it's almost like they wanted to erase the second movie completely. And, and they took a lot of things out and they just stuck Rose in the corner and... And I, I think they listen too much sometimes to the community as a whole because there are everybody has their opinion about what Star Wars should be. But a lot of times, mm-hmm. some opinions are louder than others. And if somebody says, I hate Jar Jar, there's always somebody says, well, I, I like Jar Jar. But their voices are so quiet mm-hmm. because the other person is so animate about it that mm-hmm. you just, it gets lost. And then the the people at the top panic. And even though they're making so much money, it's mm-hmm. it's ridiculous. They still think that they have to play to the audience. Placate the audience. You know? Yeah. But yeah, and in fact, to circle back what you were saying earlier about icons on Earth, prequels, there's a lot of trade war talk. Or, you know, I, yeah. I can't help but think that Marsha would have waited in there and it's like, we need about a third less of this. Absolutely. And she would have brought the relationship better. I mean, she, I think they mentioned that mm. you don't see the chemistry between Obi Wan and. Anakin right away uh, mm-hmm. at all at all and then in the second one he seems not to you know he seems to like walk through it this is at least this is what um, people were talking about in icons because a lot of the original people who worked on the original trilogy mm-hmm. like um, Joe Johnson and, and people like that and Phil Tippett they mm-hmm. weren't crazy about what the prequels became because mm-hmm. they don't think it had the heart mm-hmm that the originals were, which, you know, might have been true. And you're right. Marshall would have gotten in there and say, listen, you don't need this, George. Nobody wants your history lesson. But because it was George Lucas on all three of those movies, 
there's a consistent tone, there's a consistent style, where the very thing you were just talking about, the change from the story that was told from The Force Awakens to The Last Jedi to Rise of Skywalker and the fact that they felt the need to hit the reset button right? coming out of uh, The Last Jedi. Where I, that has some of my favorite Star Wars stuff. I mean, I, yeah, I could do without the casino planet thing. But the battle between Kylo Ren and Luke, there's a lot of good stuff in that. And if they, uh, the fact that they second-guessed themselves and reversed, and George never did that. I mean, George was like, yeah, you know, <laughs> this is about trade wars. This is a lot, a lot about the Galactic Senate, so you know, buckle up, kids. You know, yeah. we're going back into the chamber, and we're going to listen to people give speeches. So we do get Force Awakens. It arrives in theaters December of 2015. But four months before that arrives in theaters, they begin work on Rogue One. And this was supposed to be the plan. We're going to do a new trilogy, continuing and bringing back characters that you, you've known and loved from the original trilogy. But at the same time, meet these new characters. But in between, we're going to do these standalone stories. For example, the origin story for Han Solo, which, by the way, Lucas put that in development in 2012 before selling oh, to Disney. It was, in, in fact, he had Lawrence write it, and the working title for it, not to give it away, <laughs> was Harry and the Kid, <laughs> as in Harry, uh, Harry Chewbacca. Were you at the time prior when they did Star Wars Celebration in Anaheim, I want to say in 2000? 16 or thereabouts? I didn't go to that one. I went to the four, which was okay. 2005, I think it was. But, um, yeah. Oh, no, 2008. If you were there in the hall, they showed us the early teaser proof of concept for Rogue One, that you had these X-Wings flying over a jungle planet, and then the camera tilted up, and that's no moon. And, you know, there's <laughs> a Death Star looming over this planet. It's like, holy cow, that's a great movie. But that day, they were supposed to tell us about the Boba Fett movie. James Mangold, they apologized from the stage that they were doing the panel and they had the original director of Rogue One, uh, Gareth Edwards, was there on stage. And they apologized that James Mangold, the gentleman who was supposed to be doing the Boba Fett movie, couldn't be there that day. And that was the first inkling that that project was in trouble. But yeah, they were supposed to do four different Star Wars stories. Yeah, I, I, the, what I heard was they were going to do the sequel trilogy, mm-hmm. um, and they would be every other year, and right. then they would fill it in mm-hmm. with a, a standalone. And the first standalone was Rogue One. The second mm-hmm. standalone was Solo. There was going to be a Yoda one. There was going to be a Obi-Wan Kenobi. There was going to be a Boba Stephen Fett. Stephen yep. Yeah, the, these are all things that they announced... <laughs> And it looked like it was, they were going to do it that way, but they made, well, we all know what happened to Solo. They released it too soon after Last Jedi. There's still some debate about that. In fact, Kathleen Kennedy herself came away with that, and at least her initial take on that was like, it's a mistake to cast new actors. Yeah, I don't believe that. You know, well, again, you know, what's interesting is she felt the need to walk it back. Okay, good. 
she was quoted and it's like, well, that's not entirely, I think. And not if you w- don't want to land out Karuzhin standalone. No, I don't know. That, that, yeah, I think, you know, that, that we definitely want that Donald Glover you know, oh, thing. Oh, God, he would be so good. But it's, it's worth noting, this past December, it was HBO Max did that 20th anniversary Harry Potter. Oh, right. The Hogwarts thing. And you got Daniel Radcliffe sitting down with Emma Watson and Rupert Grint, and they, the three of them look back at making these movies. And as part of the press leading up to this, Daniel got asked, would you be interested in reprising his role as the boy who lived? And, and of course, the reason he's getting asked that question is there's that play that's on Broadway and also on the West End, the, the Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. And in fact, the, there was a, a traveling production uh, in San Francisco that's just wrapping yeah, up its run. Which, which I saw. And Did you? Yeah, I saw as two parts. Um, I, it was on a Saturday, so I, I saw, oh no, it actually oh. was on a Tuesday. I saw um, part one, we had a break, and I saw part two. So I got to see it before they put it down to one part. And it was fascinating. It was okay. so great that I will go see it again as this because it did so much for me. You mm-hmm. know, because I'm a big Harry Potter fan, mm-hmm. and it really, they did an amazing job. And um, the, the movie would be terrific. But well, no, no. Okay, Here, here's the thing. Obviously, this is why you know the, the reporter asked Daniel about this, and he said, "Look, there's a part of me that says some things are better off left untouched. I mean, if we went back to Potter, there's a chance that that we could make Star Wars: The Force Awakens. You know <laughs> what that was to the original Star Wars, but it's also a chance we could make The Phantom Menace. So I don't want to go back and make anything like that that might sour what people have already loved." And what's kind of interesting is evidently Daniel only just recently watched the Star Wars movies. So, so again, this is his take oh. on it. It's like, I, I really like what they did. I thought it was a smart update with The Force Awakens, but, you know, eh, not sure I want to, would want to do a Phantom Menace. And he also, by the way, pointed out, if you think about the way Harry Potter, the adult Harry Potter, is played in The Cursed Child, he's like... I'm really about a decade too young right now to play that Harry Potter, you know, the one in Cursed Childs. But but it says, look, if Warner Brothers is willing to wait another 10 years, (laughs) we can maybe circle around to this idea. And he also said Harrison Ford, Mark Hamill, and Carrie Fisher got to take a 30-year break between playing their Star Wars characters again. I'm sure... If that amount of time goes by and, and I'm then asked to play Harry again... I'll think differently about revisiting that character. So it's, it's, he's not saying no, he's just saying not right now. He talked about, it's part of this interview, oh, by the way, I went to the set of The Force Awakens at, at, when they were shooting at Pinewood Studios. But he didn't go because he was a Star Wars fan. He went because the people now working in the Star Wars movie are the old Potter crew. <laughs> They've all moved over to working on those movies. They've been my friends for years now, so I dropped by to see them. He said, I did get to meet Harrison Ford while I was there. We had a, we had a chat. He was lovely. But but all in all, it was a nice visit. It was like he was going back to meet, hang out with his friends he shot the eight Harry Potter movies That's with. That's funny. It, but yeah, it wasn't about, ooh, I get to do something cool. I get to go to the Star Wars movies. So completely opposite of the way Kevin Smith felt when he was 
went on to the There set. we go. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, well, Kevin had something just shy of a religious experience where yes. Daniel over the years, um, by the way, I, I have to say I'm a huge Daniel Radcliffe oh. fan, if only because he started as a kid actor and wound up starring in one of the big film franchises of all time. But he does he then chase those sorts of movies? You know, no, he's no. he's a character actor now. Yep. And, and in fact, I love the fact that the very next thing we're going to see him in is weird. The Al Yankovic story that shows up on Roku on uh, November 4th. Also, he's spending a lot of time working on stage. In fact, they just announced that he's going to be appearing this fall. They're doing a revival of arguably one of Stephen Sondheim's best scores, Merrily We Roll Along. Uh, he's going to be playing the Charlie Kringus. Uh, oh, really? They're going to do that again? Because because when it failed, that was it. And the, and you know they're making a movie of it, right? They, yes, but again, same and thing. And they're doing they're, it backwards. Uh, yeah, they're going to well, film the, yep. the young kids now. Right. And then in 10 years, they're going to finish the movie. So that should be really interesting. I I, I have to admit, I've always been fascinated by this property, largely because, again, it it has so many great songs. And and the fact that that Daniel, as Charlie Kringus, gets to perform Franklin Shepard, Inc., you know, it's a musical nervous breakdown. Can't wait. Well, I'm going to blow your mind if you don't know this already. Did you know this was... Carlo Esposito's first stage thing. No, his second stage thing. No. He was a, before he starred in Spike Lee movies, he mm-hmm. was a child actor on on Broadway. And Merrily We Roll Along was his second thing that he was on. It wow. was in. So he comes, so here's this guy who's, who's, and even in the, the Spike Lee, he's the most evil characters in a lot mm-hmm. of these things. But he plays this great, really optimistic kid Aww. in Merrily and, and on Broadway. And he was, I think he was also in a, um, it was a, a music, they were both musicals he was in. And, and he becomes one of the greatest villain character actors there is. And he starts, and he started on Broadway. That's where he started. This uh, the original "Merrily We Roll Along" was also one of Jason Alexander's. First oh yeah, credit. He plays the producer in the show, and but yeah, I mean the whole. Again. I, I I think that this is this is amazing that you know this this is a snake eating itself. It just keeps mm-hmm. on going around. Yeah, that it does. That well, it does. Well, this was fun. This was a mm-hmm. good talk this week, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Well, again, we, we, we too tend to wander far afield. I mean, if you, you tuned in for Star Wars stories, sorry, folks, you, you got Harry Potter and you got Stephen Sondheim, but we'll try to do better next week. So can you tell the nice people where they can, they can find you online? You can uh, find me on Twitter, and it's geek with children, and children is spelled C-H-I-L-D-R-N. Uh, we also have some podcasts here uh, that, have, if you enjoyed this, we, we'd like to direct your attention to. We have, of course, Disney Dish that I do with Len Testa. Uh, we also have Marvel Us Disney I do with Aaron Adams. And we also have Fine Tuning, which I do with Drew Taylor. If you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and recommend the show you're listening to right now, looking at Lucasfilm, that would be helpful. 
Uh, if you get over to Bandcamp and subscribe, uh, that would be cool too. Hope you enjoyed listening to today's show, and Brian and I will be back soon.